The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. A Big Ten East showdown. Nobody wins just one in the third Saturday in October rivalry and a couple of teams with an opportunity for bounce back. This is the College Game Day podcast for Friday, October 20th. This is the Picks edition of the podcast. Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, Stanford Steve with you. Race tightening a little bit, but Stanford Steve still showing why he is the expert picker and uh, gambler, most knowledgeable gambler around. Steve, you're still leading the way uh, with a 35-27-5, and five, Mark. Five pushes on the season. Yeah, I would like to trade some of these wins over to another refrigerator that we see a lot during the week. <laughs> but uh, maybe I should just take the picks from this pod and, and just throw them on the fridge and blast the fridge. Yeah, uh, hey, look, you're you're doing great. I, I just I'm not just here to blow some sunshine up your skirt. Pete will attest to this. You you've been fantastic on the show. You're not just there to pick whether it's your playing. Uh, experience at Stanford, your institutional knowledge of the sport. Uh, what a great addition both of you have been. I've, I've said this publicly many times uh, to Pete as well, that having Pete on the show is something that this show has needed. Someone who has the connections, the knowledge, the insight, can get the news early and on time uh, for years. And having both you guys, been a pleasure to have both of you as teammates. It's not like it's coming to an end or anything, but uh, no. I just felt like since you were being self-deprecating about the old fridge, that maybe I'd give you a little pep talk here and uh, and, and let you know things are going great. Things no, it's been great. it's been absolutely fantastic. The energy, I was, like I said, all week going up to last week with our show staff, I just wanted them to see UW when it's the UW that I know. And mm-hmm. boy, did we did we get an effort. And then I started another deal wearing uh Grumpy Joe from Idaho, their their sweatshirt on the show. And little did I know when I woke up in Los Angeles the next morning, the the creative folks in Missoula took my Grumpy Joe sweatshirt and lambasted the grizz on it. So when I woke up, it was just, <laughs> you meant to wear this sweatshirt. So now I have Montana folks reaching out. They obviously have Montana State later here. So it's just been a blast hearing from people. And, you know, Mark Schlereth texted me seeing, you know, how fired up he was to see Idaho on on the show. And that's what I, I'm trying to do is bring some, bring some love to the little guys, knowing these games are going to amp up at the FBS level, but also, you know, guys are playing ball all over the country, and that's why we love the sport because, you know, you get upsets at the Kibbe Dome late on a Saturday night, and it's it's just awesome. Everything that, that entails it, uh, we try and capture it, and that's what I'm just trying to do. That's what we try to do here, too, Pete. Pete and I probably had a lot of people on the Wednesday podcast going, why are those guys talking about billboards in Mobile, Alabama, uh, between southern Mississippi and south Alabama? But Oof, it's just, that just one little- is ugly. Yeah, just a little touch, right, Petey? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there's two kinds of college football fans. You either know what the Kibbe Dome is or you don't. Yeah. And I would think a majority of our <laughs> listeners know what the Kibbe Dome is, and that's the way we like it. That's right. Weekend Preview is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Psst, the secret to game-winning days this college football season or winning game days as we use Mr. Tongue, Mr. Lips, and Mr. Eyes to read properly the secret to game-winning days. Wait, 
Let's do it again. The secret to winning game days this college football season is Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Visit Eckridge.com for dozens of simple, mouth-watering recipes to elevate your next tailgate, and it is way easier to get to those recipes than it is apparently to read that promo. There you go, which, which calls to mind before we start the picks. I hope I don't get in trouble for sharing this, but um, I think it was a Clemson-Florida State game. Did McDonough do Clemson-Florida State? I think he did. Who, who remembers now? I'm yes. pretty sure it was that game. He did, yes. He did, okay. So at some point they do the Affleck trivia question, right? <laughs> and uh, and Sean says, I guess they're telling him in his ear, you got to say Affleck or you didn't say Affleck or we didn't hear you say Affleck or whatever. And uh, and Sean says, at this point, any college football fan should know that Affleck sponsors the trivia question. <laughs> Who wouldn't know that? Affleck, Affleck, Affleck. Are you good enough now? <laughs> it's it like vintage McDonough. That's why uh, he's brilliant and why we love him. Yep. He, he had the line of the year with the Clemson kicker in that game. Because um, it was mm-hmm. a storybook ending. The kid had been off the team and he'd been out going to Wall Street and they brought him back. And he's, you know... Sean McDonough setting up the Hollywood ending, and then the kid shanks the kick while they're like showing his mom, and he's like, "Well, the writers are on strike." <laughs> it was like perfect. I was like, "That's why he's the best." You know, he he is spectacular in the moment. Uh, his ability to capture that and get off the right one liner and mm-hmm. timing and oh. uh, and bringing and telling stories uh, in a concise fashion yet not taking away from his uh, his analyst. Um, although uh, that's probably, after I said that, that's Jay Billis on line one begging to differ. Um, but uh, at, at any rate, he I mean, I've got such great regard for him. But that, oh. that cracked me up and me screwing up the Eckridge read right there multiple times um, brought that to mind. So that, that now ensures that there's no way Taylor is going to cut that out. And I apologize to the good people at Eckridge. I... I uh, they they deliver a fine sausage product, and we're pleased to have them as a sponsor on the podcast, and it's the first time I've messed up. And if that becomes a problem for you, let me read it this way. Weekend Preview is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Psst. The secret to winning game days this college football season is Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Visit Eckridge.com for dozens of simple, mouth-watering recipes to elevate your next tailgate. There we go. Let's try to elevate some picks now, shall we? So, Taylor, mm-hmm. you lead the way and take us through the list, and let's make some prognostications and give the people some winners. All righty. It is the race for the ribeye week eight. The stakes are stakes. The week seven results, Reese and Pete, you guys killed it. Five, three, and one, both of you. And Steve, a downturn there, three, five, and one. Uh, Steve still has is eight games over 500. Reese, one game over 500. And Pete, a mm, little, little bit distance off of that, that 500 mark. But that's okay. Today's the day that we get back on track here. Let's get right into it. We're going to do these chronologically. Penn State at Ohio State. That'll be at noon Eastern time. Ohio State, a four-point favorite. Let's go Reese, Steve, and then Pete. We spent a great deal of time Wednesday talking about this game. Its significance in the Big Ten East race its significance in the college football playoff race, and its significance to Penn State getting to that elite status by winning a game like this. They're 1-8 and eight against Ohio State under James Franklin. They've lost six in a row to them, two of them by one point, 
Many times they've had control of the game in the fourth quarter. I detailed all of that on Wednesday. If you want to know how they lost leads, go back and listen to the Wednesday pod. I think Penn State's the better team. I think Penn State, if not now, when? I'm I'm taking Penn State not only to cover that four and a half. I think this is the week. This is the Saturday. And I think Penn State wins it outright. It's really, really tough, Reese, because uh, the, the game that sticks out in my mind continuously every week since we've been there is Notre Dame and Ohio State. And I can't get like I, I people go back and forth. Oh, that was a lucky win. I don't know how good those teams two are. I think those two teams are pretty darn good. And what you saw Notre Dame do since then, you could take whatever you want. But being there that night and watching those two teams, and I said it that night, I think McCord found himself. Now, what has happened since then? Dominoes have fallen as far as injuries, and I don't know what they're going to look like. And I don't know if the guys in Columbus know what they're going to have on the field Saturday. So with that, you put on the Penn State tape, and it's just absolute mass destruction. The teams they play, and people make a big deal and not the deep balls. But I look, I watch it, and I think it's smart football. You know, you, you, the, the adage now in, you know, in tempo and offense is, you know, you see green grass on the perimeter, take it. And that's what they've done with Aller. He hasn't thrown the ball down the field. I think last in FBS in 40-plus yard plays, they have one. And they're undefeated. So I think he's primed for this stage. They've built him up. He's got enough reps. And I think that defense is going to travel. That defense is ready to go. Number one in pressure rate. But again, they haven't played any good offenses. I expect that to take a step back. But I'm taking Penn State plus the points. I could see Ohio State winning by a field goal. That's why I like this four, four and a half, whatever it's around. I'll take Penn State plus the points. Yeah, I'm not going to save the graphic here. Um, the, the number I really like is that over-under at 46.5. I don't think it's getting over that. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I think defenses are going to lead the way. I don't think either quarterback is going to score 35 here, right? I just don't think they're built that way. We we got into Ohio State's offensive line issues on the, on the last pod. I, I think those are real. I think this is one of the better Penn State defensive fronts that we've seen, and I'd expect them to be disruptive. I would be pretty patient if I was going to invest in this game to see how the injuries yeah. settle for Ohio State. When you look at Travion Henderson, this is a game for Mayan Williams, right, to like really bust through um, Chip Tranums. Obviously, they've leaned on a, a bunch this year, and uh, Denzel Burke is a huge factor. So um, – that said, like as what for what we know, sitting here um, taping this pod, I would I would take the Nittany Lions in the four. Next up, we got Washington State at Oregon. Oregon, a twenty point favorite. This game kicks off at three thirty p.m. Eastern time. Let's go, Steve, Pete, Reese. Yeah, interesting here is the time of game. If this was a night one, I, I would lean towards maybe thinking about the point. I just think 20 points is is too much uh, with a capable team. Washington State absolutely embarrassed last week uh, against Arizona at home on the Palouse after a loss to UCLA. Uh, I just think it's too many. I'm going to take the 20. I uh, The line is like alarmingly big where I almost it almost feels trappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, I left that – I left Seattle pretty darn impressed with the Ducks the no other doubt. night. And um, really, I thought, uh, you know, front seven-wise, defensively, they, they've got some they've got some real dudes, interior linemen watching the game from the field were, uh, were, were impressive. Um, I think that there's a lot in front of this Oregon team still, and, and they know that, and uh, Lanning's going to have them ready to go back. So I'm going to call for the uh, – I'm going to call for the blowout and take the Ducks. 
I also call for the blowout, and I also will take the Ducks. Feel the exact same way Pete did. I walked out of Husky Stadium or ran out in order to beat the yeah. traffic once the uh, field goal went out. We all sprinted <laughs> Two out. Two weeks together. in a row, Reese. That's right. Good escapes. <laughs> really good escapes. Uh, Rachel did a great job getting us out of there. She got Pete and me out of uh, Neyland Stadium last year and didn't get caught up in the wow. in the field storming. It was really, that one was really impressive work. Yeah. But um, at any rate, I walked out of there thinking I saw two teams that were not only playoff worthy, but two teams that could win the national championship. They play a little bit differently, but they're both really good. Um, there are kinds of losses that tick you off and make you come back the next week mm. ready to open up a can on somebody's rear end. <laughs> and there are losses that shake you to your core. I think Washington State had one that would shake you to your core. And I think Oregon had one that ticked them off. I think Oregon lays the wood. And I, I've been a guy who I think Washington State's a pretty good team. They're catching them at a bad time, not only for them, with maybe the confidence shaking a little bit after Arizona crushed them the way they did, but they're catching Oregon at a bad time too. So I'll, I'll lay the three touchdowns and go with the Ducks. Fascinating one here. Minnesota at Iowa. Iowa, three and a half point favorite. America in love with this total here. 32 and a half. Uh, let's hear what you guys have to say. Pete, Reese, and then Steve. So Iowa obviously lost Eric All. It's mm. second best, but still very good tight end. They lost their best tight end, Luke Lachey, uh, back in September. They've lost their quarterback, Cade McNamara. They have the country's third worst passing offense behind, I believe, uh, Navy and Air Force. I think Army is ahead of them uh, right now. Um, and they are three-and-a-half-point favorites against Minnesota. Uh, prior to investing, I would uh, I would wait for an update on uh, Darius Taylor. The Big Ten now does injury reports, so you'll know two hours before the game whether the Big Ten's leading rusher is going to play in this game. I would think that is the most significant injury singularly towards impacting a result. That will uh, that will come up this week. Uh, Minnesota is coming off a bye. I would think there's a fairly good chance he would play. Um, just considering the amount of time he's had off, he missed two games um, heading into the bye. Um, that said, I'm going to take the Gophers. Uh, you know, if Taylor's there, it obviously gives them a bump. This is a game that uh, PJ Fleck has not won. He's done a lot at Minnesota. Um, he's sort of changed some paradigms and perceptions there, and uh, and had a you know, had a Minnesota career so far that's defied some gravity considering the historic mopishness of that program. But um, this is one, considering Kirk Ferentz burning those timeouts a couple of years ago, uh, that the, the, there's a little bit of petty um, in the uh, in the air. And I think the Gophers uh, can go in with a competent passing attack with Ethan Taliak manis and uh, – if 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 Darius Taylor's back to ride, they can uh, they can they can at least cover right three and a half is like a fourteen and a half point spread in the Pac twelve. You you threw me for a loop there, Pete, because I thought I was going to be the only one to go with the Gophers, and I am. Uh, in addition to the struggles that Iowa has had throwing the football, so is Minnesota. These are the two worst passing offenses in the Power Five. Oh, only uh, Pete mentioned only Navy and Air Force throw for fewer. That applies to Minnesota, except you can put Iowa in there too. They can't throw it either, um, or haven't thrown it. I detailed on Wednesday all of the futility, and yet Iowa still wins. I also outlined how much respect I have for Iowa sticking to its guns and finding ways to win these games. 
But I will go back to what I said about Louisville last week. It doesn't mean I don't like Louisville. It doesn't mean I don't like Iowa. But if you are not good enough, a loss will find you. So when people start worrying about teams going 11-1 and and they can't move the football, uh, what did McAfee say last week that was hilarious? They couldn't fall down and kick it and move it forward. But, you know, it's um, you start worrying about this. You put yourself in harm's way if you can't distance yourself from teams you're playing. And Iowa can't distance itself from anybody at this point with no McNamara, no Lachey, who was lost earlier, now no Eric All. Um, I, I'm going I'm going with Minnesota because I think somebody's going to get them, probably Minnesota or Nebraska, maybe Rutgers in there, but somebody will get them. I'll go ahead and say that P.J. captures Floyd of Rosedale for the first time. You know who wow. Iowa's leading receiver is, Reese? Uh, I imagine it's this uh, former Avon Old Farm star, Nico Regani. Is that correct? That is correct. There we go. Finest Coach. boy school in all the land. I'll, I'll finish your sentence. Go ahead, Esperando. Steve. I, and you know what? And, I, and, their, and the school motto would apply to Iowa as well. Aspirando et perseverando, which is aspire and most importantly, persevere. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, hold on. I need a second. We got that in there. And Pete dropped the historic mopishness. <laughs> For Miami, or my, I'm in Minnesota. Sorry, I probably could put Miami in there too. Um, I mean, it's not historic greatness in the Central no, Football. No, <laughs> no, and and you know what? Like I have taking a liking. I, I'm taking Iowa here. I want 11 and one Iowa. I really do. I appreciate teams that could you know win ways in any way possible. I understand where Reese is coming from. A loss of finding. You already saw that with Louisville. But I just if if you're that mad at them and you can't stand them that much, beat them. And people just don't do it. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the matchup, it's as bad. I thought PJ Fleck was. Uh, I saw the post game quotes. Uh, pretty eye opening that he said Michigan was the best team he's coached against in eleven years after playing them last week. And I look at it as the old factor of you know the early teens teams of Bama. Uh, what the record was of the team the week they played after him. I think they got banged up pretty good. And I'm going to take Iowa at home. I'm going to I'm going to ride this lightning while I can. As Reese pointed out, it'll find you. So I'm along for the ride, Hawkeyes. Give me the Hawkeyes. With, with both of us going Minnesota, this might be the smartest pick in the history of the podcast. With Steve <laughs> going with Iowa, that shows that shows what you know, pal. Mm. Third Saturday in October, Tennessee headed to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, a nine and a half point favorite. This kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Let's go Reese, Steve, then Pete. So many great moments in this series. General Robert Nealon said, you never know what a man is made of until he played against Alabama. Bear Bryant played in this game with a broken leg and oh. scored two touchdowns. A man called Bully Vandergraft, Alabama's first ever All-American, had his ear ripped. And rather than come out of the game, which were the rules of the days, he tried to rip the rest of his ear off in order to continue to play against the Big Orange. Teammates and managers eventually subdued him and made him bandage it. And, of course, there's the guy who goes viral this time every year, the I Hate Tennessee guy. There's Peyton Manning leading the band. There's Jalen Hyatt running wild through the Alabama secondary last year. So much, there are the cigars, uh, an institution and a, a tradition instituted by Alabama, by a Tennessee alum who was working at Alabama, uh, Jim Goosery, who worked for uh, Bear Bryant for years and years. 
this is such a weird game. Because before the season, we expected that with Joe Milton, Tennessee would hit a bunch of shot plays. And we expected Alabama with this big offensive line to just run the football. Well, as it turns out, Alabama has been sporadic, to put it kindly at best, at running it. And Tennessee can't hit a deep pass. Both these teams sack the quarterback. Tennessee does a better job protecting the quarterback than Alabama does. Um, I think Alabama is going to win the game, but... Alabama hasn't shown me that they're going to cover nine and a half against a good team. They make every game exciting. They take you on a ride right to the end, even when you think they have it in hand. So I'm going to, I'm going to say Alabama wins, but Tennessee covers that line's too big for me. Yeah. I sort of feel the same exact way. I I don't uh, have confidence in Alabama covering the, the more than a touchdown number. The problem is, is what I've seen with Tennessee and when you go back and look, they got swallowed up in the in the swamp in a, in a hostile environment last week. Joe Milton tried giving A and M that game as much as he could, and I am really really liking the the defense for Alabama. I mean the the chaos they cause, especially in a home atmosphere. You saw Ole Miss deal with it. Uh, Texas hit big shots over the top. That's what you got to do. And with Milton, I can't. I, I'm not confident. I haven't seen it all year. The uh, People want to give me data points and and um, you know all the you know substance size and all that stuff. It's there. I hate it, but I'm taking Alabama minus the points. These aren't teams that this season have left you convicted in any way, right? Other than sort of the ambiguity that the performance has has, has yielded. So nine and a half is a lot of points. Um, I would say Alabama's offensive line may be one of the least performing units compared to expectation in the entire country. It's just Nick Saban spent all summer saying we're going to become an offensive line driven program again. And their offensive line has been driven around and Jalen Milrose has been sacked. Now, some of that is he's going to wiggle around a little bit and can create with his legs. But the, the notion of Alabama lining up and smashing people just hasn't happened this year. So um, the, the idea of it suddenly happening this week and then pushing around Tennessee, which has had a pretty solid defense, um, isn't appealing to me. So I'll I'll take the uh, I'll take the points. I don't know if Alabama blows anyone else out on their schedule, other than I think they have an FCS uh, Chattanooga. So, but I think it, it will be a roller coaster ride the rest of the way for this tied team and. Uh, I think they will, uh, you know, they are going to be susceptible, and I th- certainly think they'll struggle to cover here. Yeah. I, one one thing, Pete, I think you make a great point. The sacks that Alabama allows, while problematic for their offense in general, I don't worry about them as offensive line standpoint, maybe with the exceptional left tackle where they've had some problems with young guys playing. Yep. It's more that they can't run. They can't really consistently get a push in the running game because a great majority of the sacks seem to me to be mostly on Milrow not quite getting through it as quickly as he will eventually. He's getting there, but you know I think a lot of those there. So I, I think that's a big advantage for Tennessee on Saturday. No tailback scares me in that. No skill guy scares me in that team. They just don't. For, for Alabama? For Alabama, I, yeah. It, you know, I think the thing is the running backs that they have that would scare you aren't quite there in pass protection yet. Okay, and and the uh, and That's the running rule number and, one in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It, it is. And I know. those guys. Those guys are young, and they'll probably get there too. But uh, they've got a couple that will. 
but <laughs> there, there, uh, there have been some growing pains in pass pro, I think, too. And they, yeah. the receivers are uh, good, but not what, you've, not what you've come to expect with all the guys they've had roll through there. Jermaine Burton wouldn't start for Washington. Well, yeah, but that's a yeah, but come on, that's a high bar. I mean, I mean, you're you've got you've got a couple of guys they've had. Look at the bar. You got a couple guys. You got a couple of guys at Ohio State that wouldn't start at Washington. Yeah, I mean, and and a couple of guys. To be fair, a couple of guys at Washington that wouldn't start at Ohio State. So you're gonna have to bring the bar down a little bit. Well, I'm saying is they set the bar there three four years ago. So like that's that that that's my only point. Like, that's a that's a really really high, but that's the highest bar I've ever no, seen. No, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, you're, you're you're like going. Alabama's Olymp- not going to have that again. That's like the that's like the Olympic record bar. Yeah, you, know, you wouldn't start at Washington. This, well, okay, this, this family <laughs> bar is way up there. Guy at tailback or running back, first, second, maybe even third team, maybe third team, right? Maybe, but like. That's just it's just what makes them different, and why I don't think they'll be able to move move the ball to blow out Tennessee or dominate Tennessee. Next up, we've got Duke at Florida State. Florida State, a 14-point favorite. This kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Let's go Steve, Pete, then Reese. Uh, I wanted Pete to go first on this one. What do you got? <laughs> what do you got? Well, we we'll, be, we'll be We'll be updating uh, Ryan Leonard's status on, on game day on Saturday. I just think if you look at the original timeline of the injury compared to now, I would, I would say it's probably be a surprise if he plays this week, it would be a pretty darn speedy recovery from a high ankle um, three weeks in, right? Like that's just as high ankles go, it would have to, everything would have to go right. So I think the fact that he didn't run at all in pregame warmups last week is a little indicator into how far he has to go. I'm not saying it's impossible. And I think we'll know more by the end, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would wait until late in the day if I were investing in this game, but counting on him, uh, taping this podcast midweek like we are, I don't think that's that that just doesn't seem injury math wise, no inside information doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. All right. So old Beelan's gonna be behind center. I think he's gonna have to do more than four <laughs> completions and two touchdowns. I I love what Duke I did not expect Duke to win last week without Ryland Leonard. I thought that was as impressive a win, knowing what they lost when we were there. You get game day, you get Notre Dame on a Saturday night and you all the way to the end, and then you lose your star quarterback in the last play, and God only knows how long those two weeks for them were for them to get back on the field. Uh, but I I think that defense is going to be on the field too long if Beelan starts, and that's just a bad recipe with Florida State and the ample numbers of guys. Uh, I thought it was <clears throat> fascinating. We brought up on the call this week, guys, just the idea of the Bolitnikoff Award this year, uh, I think it's a tremendous race. I get it. Harrison's the most talented. He's got a stage that nobody else does the rest of the way. But Keon Coleman, I think, has been – is when you first start talking about assets to offenses, he has been absolutely tremendous. Uh, I think that offense you know, wears out. The balance of it, too, is what's really eye-opening to me. Uh, as you look at what Florida State does, you know, 6-0, and now moving, trying to get to 7-0, so – I don't love laying double digits anytime, but uh, I'll do it here with Florida State. Man, this this might be the pick that I'm least convicted about on the board because everything in me says take Florida State. I you know I, I I'm really high on Florida State as everybody knows here and lay the points, but Duke is so tough 
And coming back from that Notre Dame game and losing your quarterback and then winning that game, uh, Steve, I agree with you. I mean, what Elko, uh, the the toughness that he has instilled in those guys. Uh, They've they've won four games by 20 points and giving up less than 10. They lead the ACC in yards per attempt rushing, and you can run on Florida State a little bit. But I wonder if, if Florida State doesn't believe you can throw on them at all, they're going to sell out to stop the run. And if they do, and I'm sort of assuming that Riley doesn't play, the whole dynamic shifts if he's able to. Correct. And no and doubt. he's got to, and he's also got to be healthy because if Riley Leonard can yep. play but he can't run, then it's then it's not point. really the same thing. So Duke's never beaten Florida State. Typically a blowout. I know the difference in the in the histories of the two. I want to take Duke in the points, but I can't do it. I I mean, their defense is terrific. Their running game is terrific. But with Riley Leonard out or presumably less than 100% and no real uh, data to support a threat in the passing game from Beelan, I'm I'm going to I'm going to take Florida State and lay the points. Well, since I'm like 19 games behind everybody, <laughs> this seems like an opportunity with 14 points and the country's number eight pass defense, number two pass efficiency defense, number four scoring defense to maybe say, OK, Duke can go figure out a way to score two touchdowns and they're not going to give up over 30. Right. That's what has that's what has to happen here. Like Kevin Johns is going to figure out how to move the ball like they did with Henry Beelan last week, even though there were not a lot of completions. They figure out against, by the way, a very good NC State defense. Right. Mm-hmm. This that's not that's not a bunch of walkovers, yeah. Peyton Wilson and right. those guys. They found out a way to move the ball. I think they're Elko is going to be creative enough and Tyler Santucci should create enough to get off the field on some third downs. And uh, you know, you need to hope in my case here, taking Duke in this, that if it's not Riley Leonard, the the Seminoles probably don't have this game circled on their calendar, right? Like it's just when you look at the grand kaleidoscope of Florida State season and opportunity, Duke is, a, you know, a, just somebody they got to brush past, not uh, they're not going to be dialed in like they were for other games. So I'll take uh, I'll take the two tutties and the in the fighting Elkos and just just based off pure performance and nobody scored on them this year yet. We got a fun one here. Georgia State at Louisiana. Louisiana, a two and a half point favorite. This kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern. Let's start with Pete, then go Reese and Steve. So I I, I will stand on the table and say I was the only one who got Georgia State right last yep. week. So um <laughs> they were they were at they were at home. And uh I am not going to uh I am not gonna get back on the Sean Elliott bandwagon. By the way, Steve should always be obligated to pick an O-lineman coached team. I feel like that has to be like a little bit like contractually from his background as a tight end and how much he pays attention to O-line play. But I tell you what, I, I've loved what uh Mike Desmo's done at uh at Louisiana this year. They have the country's second leading rushing offense per carry they have been uh they have been solid and salty at every turn so i'm gonna take uh i'm gonna take the raging cajuns give a little spice i i love what uh, you mentioned what coach des has done at louisiana because that's one of those fringe programs right you saw napier take it to the highest level they can get to and you always wonder like you know was it the coach was it the players and you know a lot of times those guys have a culture and then it's instilled and then you know you're able to ride that like a lightning and momentum and he's done a, a great job in in a, in a place where it's what it's on that level right portal where are we going oh that's a good team let's go take all their good players and louisiana has been there forever i just love what georgia state brings to the table they beat me last week i'm not going against them again i'll take georgia state 
I'm going to go with uh, with Desmo and the Raging Cajuns. Got dual threat quarterback again, uh, much like uh, uh, what Levi Lewis, right? Was the guy that Billy yes. had down there. Oh yeah, Eli uh, Mitchell, so, yeah. yeah. So he started was there. for about eleven seasons. Yeah, though. he was there forever. <laughs> and you know they've got a guy in Zion Chris now who throw it a little bit. It can run the football. Um, this probably swings on home game for mm. me. Uh, I, Georgia State beat me last week, and they may do it again, but I'm going to take Louisiana. Big one out west, Utah at USC. USC, a six-and-a-half-point favorite. This kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll start with Reese, then go Steve and Pete. Had a guy tell me close to the Utah program that he felt like, uh, not not a part of the guy who's covered the Utah program for a long time, that they feel really confident about the way uh, Morgan Scally can scheme against Lincoln Riley. Um, I just, I don't like the spot for Utah with USC being up against it, coming off an embarrassing game. Caleb Williams with uncharacteristic three turnovers. The one thing that does give me pause is obviously maybe Utah does an even exaggerated version of what Notre Dame did in terms of getting pressure on Caleb Williams. We even saw Arizona do a good job of, uh, you know, making life difficult and chasing him out of the pocket. And Utah's probably, as we saw a couple times last year, better suited to deal with it when he does, if anybody's suited to deal with it when that guy starts running around and creating um U- utah has has some trouble scoring the one thing usc's defense has done well is get to the quarterback create some negative plays but they give up a bunch uh i'm this is sort of a hold your nose and do it but i'm gonna i'm gonna go with fight on i'm gonna say uh, back against the wall home game which we saw Utah not maybe not play its best game when it went to Southern California last year and played uh, played against UCLA uh, in the Rose Bowl in the Rose Bowl Stadium for that game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say USC wins. I'm gonna say they they win it by a touchdown and, and they keep their hope alive for for at least another week or two. If USC were to they're all the way down to 18. If they were to lose this game, you you think they're out of the top 25, Reese? Depends on how they lose it. Okay. If they, if they, you know, if they if lose, they look it like close, they did last week for sure. If they look like they did last week, probably so. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, I like I said all off season, I wasn't judging SC until they went to Notre Dame, and now you look at that schedule right between the eyes, and it is a gauntlet. You got Washington coming to town after this. You got a trip to Cal. That's always tricky. You got to go to Oregon. You still got UCLA. Like this is a must for them, but I, I can't do it. I, I can't lay the six and a half. Uh, you know, Utah is not going to come in afraid of anything. They're going to stand in and, and, and line up and, and go right at SC. Uh, <clears throat> you mentioned SC being able to get to the quarterback. What Utah could do, uh, I believe is get the ball quickly out of, out of the quarterback's hands, uh, no matter who it is, uh, and use, maybe use the quarterback in the run game, which would be a, an asset that SC, I don't think would like very much. So, I'm I'm really really fascinated where SC goes from here. Really, I, I think it's a, a it's a major story uh, with Caleb saying that he has a circle of teams that he would only go to in the draft, and he's going to come back possibly. Why is he going to come back for this? Possibly go eight and four. Like I I don't, I don't understand that. 
So uh, I'm going to take – I don't doubt SC they can win the game, but I'm going to take those six and a half points. We have to we have to find a uh, a pithy term for uh, the game that I could refer it to as the Pepto game, where if I picked a team that I didn't feel in my gut I should pick, I would immediately want Pepto. Or you could just call it the faceplant emoji game, where yeah. six minutes in, you look at the <laughs> score and you're like, of course, you dumb jerk. Why would you possibly pick that team? So USC right now is the faceplant emoji team right now. There is no way I'm backing that horse. Now, look, could Lincoln Riley go win? Could he hang 41 on yeah. Morgan Scally? Sure. But I am not going to like it. Let, let him go do it. Let him let him prove he can do it. Um, Utah has been gangbusters on, on, on defense this year. They've won three in a row in this series, and their strengths are USC's weaknesses. Now, um, We'll have an update on, on game day on this. I would expect Bryson Barnes to start again. Um, he'd been running with the ones. They didn't even use Nate Johnson as a change of pace guy last week. Um, you know, who knows in Cam Rising at this point. Kyle Whittingham is openly talking about him redshirting this week. Uh, that doesn't seem to me to be the cadence of, uh, of, of him coming back. So, but that said, like why Utah is going to win or at least cover in this case is just because they are a better, tougher program. Sure, Oregon State scored 21 on them, but Oregon State is like a slightly less, you know, built version of Utah. They're they are built from each line out. And I have faith in USC's line. I'm sorry. I have faith in Utah's lines to dominate USC on each side of the ball. And it'll be interesting to see if, you know, the Utes go up 10 nothing to that we're going to learn a lot about USC's personnel. We're going to learn about a lot about Lincoln Riley the next few weeks. Last game for the show today. Clemson, a three and a half point favorite on the road against Miami. This kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern. Let's start with Steve, then Pete and Reese. How big's the bandwagon? Is it, is <laughs> it, is it still too big? Uh, can I, yeah, can yeah. I get on the bandwagon now? Oh, is, there, is there a seat? I mean, what don't you have in this matchup uh, between these two head coaches, the position they're in, the position one of them's trying to get himself in, uh, just Miami just trying to get up off the deck. I, 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 we talked about it last week on this on this show. I, I really thought Miami had an opportunity uh, to find themselves in a like that's what you wanted after a debacle of the of the Georgia Tech game, you know, national stage. And I thought that was more about Carolina making plays. Miami did make some crucial mistakes in the second half, but you know, we talked about Carolina on the other side. And I was I was happy for them to take, you know, you always want to when you get that stage, the objective is to play well and good things happen. And Carolina did that. So Miami, I don't know what this is going to be. I would imagine it's going to be a Clemson home game. It feels like this is this is the the game we've seen the least amount of times in Miami, right? I, can, I feel like I can remember Clemson going to Miami only a handful of times. Uh, so I expect that to be a home game for Clemson. Uh, I don't feel great about it, but I'll take the road team and give the points with Clemson. The The most interesting reverberation of that Georgia Tech debacle for Miami was this unbelievably fascinating stat emerged. They are 0-5 in ACC home games since Mario Cristobal got there. Wow. That's like gobsmacking. So if I if you're going to tell me that first win is going to be against Clemson, I, I don't think so. Um, great point by Steve. Like, if you want to recruit against Miami, get the TV cut-ups of this, of this game when they go to the blimp shot. 
because it, it ain't going to be Miami orange in the stands. I'll tell you that right now. So um, I am going to be a skeptic of Miami until they prove me different. And I don't think this is where they end the home schneid. Uh, so I will take Clemson in the, uh, in, in the points and dare Miami to prove me wrong. To Steve's point, I think the last time Clemson was there was in 2015, and they won 58 yeah. nil. It's now, like a noon, that, noon kickoff. Yeah, it was, yeah, that it was bad. Yeah, and that was a, that was a Clemson team on its way to the national championship Correct. game. Al Golden. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that was that was kind of that was kind of that before for uh, the Hurricanes and mm-hmm. and that era of them. This is certainly not that Clemson team. Um, I I really uh, think a lot of Dabo personally. Certainly, I have great respect for him as a coach, and I have no idea why he says the things he does from time <laughs> to time. Like the bandwagon need to get some people off the bandwagon. They don't believe. Why do you care about that? Let's yeah. let's get a first down. You know, let's see if we can get a first down. Um, and I'm a little concerned about about Clemson in this game. But I, I can't I can't back Miami. Uh not with the clutch and not with not with Clemson coming in. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Tigers and say the two dollar bills will be spent on South Beach and celebration uh after after the Tigers get that victory. But that's a really interesting game because yeah, I don't Clemson is built in such a way that even if it loses, I don't think I don't think it gets sideways, sideways no. on them. They'll they'll continue to play. Miami. That could start unraveling if mm-hmm. uh, you know if Clemson goes down and lays a double digit win on them. I think, and that could that could get a little uh, out of sorts after yeah. what's happened to them the last couple of weeks. But I I agree with you, Steve. That that game in Chapel Hill Saturday night was not Miami losing nope. as much as it was North Carolina winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, North Carolina that was a major step for the Tar Heels for sure. I got two. One quick, I've never I, seen them take, quite frankly. Right. Yeah, I agree. No, none of us have. Yeah. I got two two quick things for you. If Clemson, Clemson were to lose this game, when's the last time they were under 500 in conference this late in the year? I think is mind blowing. And yeah, Marissa on that one. That's, yeah. We, uh, we talked about, Reese, you talked about the undefeated three way possibly for ACC. How does the one loss work if they don't play each other? Yeah, uh, it would it be this it'd be the same way. I think it would be uh, I mean, I don't know. I think they get down to Marissa Dowling, great researcher. We were talking about this earlier. There is a possibility it would get down to uh, some combination of CFP ranking and power rating uh, among wow. the analytics, I think. Uh, hmm. so I'm looking I'm looking right now. There's one, two, but Maryland was still in the ACC then, so they were Two and two. Okay, in 2010, Clemson was uh, two and three, if I'm counting correctly, in the ACC at the end of October after losing to Boston College. Wow. Um, so it's, it's That's been what they would be if they lose this one. So yeah, yeah. it's been a, it's been a while. One of Reese's great attributes as a host is he has good instincts, and I think last week starting to bring up tiebreakers. Was is going to portend to be a wise move because just with all the high end teams we have colliding, when you when you think maybe 12, 14 teams can still make the playoff, yeah, <laughs> there's going to be some tiebreakers, guys. Like yeah, they're no, going to be no there. doubt. We need to be conversant in them now. And I I thought it was, and then like they 
they won't get searingly controversial till they really come into focus. But I mm-hmm. think we need to know what they are. And I appreciate a respring that up because that's that's real. That's real world stuff in the Big Ten right now. Yeah. And uh, could be in the ACC. I think it's well, going to come into play in the Pac-12, too. I mean, yeah, SC, SC doesn't have a loss and they already have four conference wins. Yeah. And, and Utah has a loss already. So that that those but, games are going to mount up. They're they're way bigger than than the, the perceived notion. You know, the Break thing out your I, one true champion jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I said on the college football playoff top 25 show last night, we were talking about the Pac 12. I think that they are definitely going to get a team in. And I think it is more likely, though I don't expect it, but it is more likely that they would get two teams in the playoff than it is that they would get zero teams in the playoff. But your point's a very good one because. I was about to sort of snarkily say, well, you don't have to worry about SC and tiebreakers oh, after they it's... after they lose to Washington and Oregon, which I think they will. But then there's Oregon State yep. sitting around there. Oregon State might well, you know, clip somebody along the way. I, I don't I don't think they have Washington, do they? I obviously they have Oregon, but I don't think they play Washington. I um, don't think oh, they play no, they SC. do. They do. They yeah, play they don't play back. SC. They get yeah. they get them home. Right, they get yeah, so they get them back to back. So Oregon State could clip somebody, yeah. and then, yeah. uh, you know, because I I think I believe that to be the deepest conference with um, contenders or near elite contenders, good enough to beat elite contenders. You know, I yep. mean, I think, and and you also have. Now you've got now you've got Arizona coming. Now well, that's, the that's fortunate thing for most is that Arizona has yeah. already played a couple of them, you know. And, but um, and but, Arizona went to Starkville and lost, so the SEC is happy. They're they're good. They got that notch on their belt. Yeah, and that's you know that's about that's about the only one at least up to this point. There are a couple of others, but how about uh, Noah Fafita? By the way, talk about a guy who's broken out I, this year. He's yeah. been great. Boy, he was since he was fun to watch. It's sensational in that SC game the other night. So yeah. so good. Um, yeah, that's been a, that's, it's a shame. And we'll, this is going down a rabbit hole and I'll wrap up the picks pod here, but man, pack 12 going away and they're going out in style, man. I mean, a lot, when I'm sitting here nitpicking the two time defending champion Utes, I mean, that, that yeah. shows you some depth right there. I mean, yep. because they are, they're tremendous on defense and they are hard nosed and that, Face palm emoji. I know either way with SC Utah. When when Utah just runs through SC's offensive line on two of the first three plays, I'm going to be going, "Why? Why did you do that?" You know. But I have a feeling our text chain is going to have some face palm emojis either way. I don't know what <laughs> yeah, either gonna go, way, but either they're going to be flying. Oh. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. Don't forget College Game Day. Outside the horseshoe on the banks of the old Olentangy in Columbus, Ohio, for the showdown between the Buckeyes and the Nittany Lions. We'll move in for about, I don't know, we're going to feel it. Last hour to hour 15 of the show, we'll be inside the stadium. Great guest picker for all you Buckeye fans out there that you'll uh, thoroughly enjoy. I would tell you, but I'm not sure he's been announced yet. Um, (laughs) But he hasn't been announced, but he was really, 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 really good at quarterback. (laughs) So there's the... There, there's the hand. But, uh, yeah, maybe, could be. There, there's He's coaching a, there with the Lions, of, so I don't think they're off. They're, lot they're, they're a lot of guys that would fit that description. One pretty prominent. People can put things together. Thanks for listening. Hope you will subscribe to the College Game Day podcast. Good luck with your picks this week.